steadiness in a spouse or steadiness in our children's obedience or steadiness in an employer or an employee relationship. We like things steady. We like things stable. We might say that we love excitement and differentness and ups and downs, but when it comes down to it, we really do want stability. How do we get that? And how do we become the kind of people who are steady and stable in ourselves? How do we become steady as Christians for each other and under Christ's rule? If you'll turn with me to Psalm 119, 133, we'll see the psalmist asking God for stability, for steadiness. He says, Psalm 119, 133, Keep steady my steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. And that is in the middle of a paragraph, as you may well know, Psalm 119 is an acrostic. It has each paragraph, uh, each line of each different paragraph starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this paragraph starts in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. So he extols the virtues of God's word and his appetite for it. And then he makes some requests based on the excellencies of God's word and his desires for it. Turn to me, verse 132, and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me. From man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts, make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Our verse for tonight is right there in the middle, 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. And here we see two observations and two provisions in our verse tonight in the psalmist's prayer. Two observations and two provisions. First, our hearts are unstable. That's the first observation or assumption that we can observe here in the text. Keep steady my steps, which assumes that the psalmist knows his steps are not steady in themselves, in himself. We are unable to remain stable in our own power and progress against sin. We're wobbly, we're inconsistent, we're uncertain, and our steps are unsteady in two ways, both in pace and in place. The pace of our walk is often unsteady, and the placement of our footsteps is often unsteady. Our pace varies, sometimes too much. We want to go on in an all-out sprint, and then all of a sudden we're too exhausted to go on. Or we're complacent with crawling along, and then when we're challenged to pick up our pace... We get winded too easily. The walk is steady, forward progress. We want to walk with a spiritual pace that shows we are living and walking the Christian life with purpose. Sometimes I go on a walk with my family, and we're not in the same mood to walk in the same way. Sometimes I want to walk at a very leisurely pace, and my family wants me to pick up the pace, and I don't feel like it, and I lag behind. 
More often than not, I want to go on a power walk, and they're not really up for that. And so I end up way out in front, sometimes ungraciously, and I want them to speed up. The Christian life is not a leisure walk. It's a destination walk. We're going somewhere, and we want to get there. We're walking towards heaven, towards God, towards Christ, towards holiness and love and sound doctrine. So we want to walk like we mean it and go at a pace that we can keep. So we don't, it's not a sprint, but we do want to walk with purpose in our pace. We're also prone to missteps, to instability in the placement of our steps. Sometimes we're not watching where we're going spiritually. Sometimes even when we are watching where we're going spiritually, we step on something that is itself unstable, and when it slips, we slip because we wrongly evaluated the stability of that ground for our hearts. When we lived in D.C., it was common to walk everywhere on the sidewalks. But the sidewalks were old brick sidewalks, and they were very often uneven with loose brick. So it was not uncommon to see people stumble pretty badly or to stumble yourself just walking along the sidewalk, and that would lead to lots of embarrassment and sometimes entertainment if it wasn't you. If you're hiking in the woods, you have to make sure you're not going to slip on a wet rock or on muddy ground, and you can twist your ankle pretty easily if you step on an unstable branch or rock. And this is all true of our hearts spiritually. We are a danger to ourselves. We're prone to injury. We're prone to disaster even. We try to get torque or forward progress on bad footing. Bad footing comes in lots of forms. Preaching and counseling that initially looked or sounded stable, but then when you try to build your life on it, it's not established in the gospel, and it becomes unsteady footing for the Christian walk. Or reliance on self-esteem on the one hand, or surrender to self-pity on the other hand. They're both unstable. Reliance on emotion, feeling a certain way, or intuition, just assuming that you know the right way, or raw willpower, all slippery ground to build a gospel life on. Indulgence in a sinful appetite or a mind-numbing drug that will impair your judgment, blur your vision. And a steady pace requires firm footing. Notice, too, that this walk is incremental. Keep steady my steps. Not just my path, not just my trajectory or direction, my steps. Steady my steps, each one of them, every move, my moment-by-moment walk, each thought, each feeling, each motive, each inclination, each decision. It's not that the psalmist wants to live his life tentatively or indecisively. It's the opposite. He wants to move with confidence both in the pace of his walk and in the placement of his footsteps, but he knows he can't do that in his own wisdom or strength. So he prays from his weakness and instability that God would steady his every step because he also knows that too many unsteady steps lead to sin getting dominion. And that's our second observation. Our hearts are vulnerable to sin. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no sin get dominion over me. Sin is trying to get dominion over the Christian. Still trying, trying to have power, trying to undermine and overpower. Sin wants to run and ruin your life. And it's actively trying to do that. The psalmist feels this competition, this opposition to his own stability in godliness. And this is a person who's writing scripture feeling this. And he feels it from multiple fronts. 
That's why he doesn't just say, let, no sin in, let not sin in general get dominion. He says, let no sin of any kind, no sin at all, no matter what it is, get dominion over me. This is all the more reason that you need steady footing because you're in a battle. It's not just a walk, it's a fight. Sin is both strategic and tactical in its opposition to your steady progress in godliness. Sometimes it fights you on all fronts at once. Other times it lulls you to sleep on one front, only to ambush you on the other side. So Christian, you are not out of the woods yet. We still have to pray this for each other and for ourselves. Let no sin get dominion over me, over him, over her, over us as a church. Notice too here, the psalmist opposes sin in all its forms. The Christian hates all sin as sin universally, just because it's sin. He doesn't pick and choose which sins he lets get the better of him. No, let no sin of any kind get to many. It's universal. So his attitude is not how much of which sin can I still serve and still avoid hell. No, it's let no sin at all get dominion over me. You cannot expect law and order in your heart if you have a soft on your favorite sin policy in your heart. So those are the two observations. Our hearts are unstable and our hearts are vulnerable to sin. Then two provisions. God's word keeps us stable. Keep steady my steps according to your promise or literally according to your word. Within the boundaries set by your word, under the authority and direction of your word, by the life-giving power of your word, take your pick. Our steps become steady as God's word acts as our standard, our authority, and our power in where we make each step. It says, in in your word, not my word, (coughs) your wisdom, your knowledge, your will. So, according to your word, according to your word, and according to your word, the law, the history, the wisdom, prophetic, gospel, epistle, apocalypse, the whole word of God energizes and stabilizes our pace and it establishes our footing. This doesn't mean the word tells me with a little voice exactly which decision to make every single time, but God's word does act as a lamp to our feet so that we maintain a sure footing and a steady pace. As I remain in God's word day by day by day by day, the suggestions of worldliness, sin, and Satan become far less confusing, far less convincing, far less seducing and alluring. The wisdom and power of Scripture applied by God's Spirit begin to function in my life in a stabilizing way. Ah, I don't have to listen to that temptation. Ah, I don't have to listen to that suggestion. I know that's false. I know where that leads. I'm steady. I'm not thrown off by every wind of doctrine. I'm not thrown off by every little sinful temptation that Satan dangles in my way. I'm not distracted by that all the time always running off trying to catch this or that pleasure or power.
I'm not thrown into an emotional tailspin every time I encounter a dark providence from the Lord. I know how to discern deceit. I know how to handle adversity by the Word of God. And the steadier you are in your own steps for yourself, the steadier you are as a sure-footed guide for other people, then you can begin to say, hey, don't step there. Step here. That step, you're going to slip. This step is going to be sure-footedness. Christian, that's what you want to be growing to be, a sure-footed guide for others who can look to you to see how to walk the Christian life at a steady pace on stable footing. God does not want you to be a doctrinal, emotional, spiritual basket case every time something bad happens. Yes, you will grieve. You will suffer sorrow and loss. But God's word stabilizes you in that grief and puts it in perspective for you. And then you become a model and goal of stable Christian maturity for others to watch and emulate. To get there, you have to learn, understand, know, and apply God's word. His word has to be your standard, your counsel, your comfort, your correction, your equipment, your stable footing, your stopwatch to keep you on a steady pace. And finally, God's word keeps us free. God's word keeps us free. The two lines of our verse are not just parallel. The second line of verse 133 builds on the first Only as God keeps our steps steady in and through his word can we stay free from sin's enslaving power. We might read it this way. Keep steady my steps according to your word and thereby or in this way let no iniquity get dominion over me. It's like verse 9 in the same chapter, Psalm 119, 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? The order is just turned around here. If you don't want sin pushing you around, then steady your steps. Get your footing by ordering every momentary step of your heart in light of God's word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The humble, godly, wise, self-aware Christian knows he is still vulnerable to sin, but he also knows that he is not helpless against sin's opposition and oppression. God's word is the resource and prayer is the recourse. You use scripture and you resort to prayer. What this verse also teaches theologically and practically is that the word of God and prayer are only effective as they're empowered by the spirit of God. You have to ask for the word of God to be effective in your life. You can't just read it in your flesh like you read a novel and then expect it to do its work without adding prayer to it. This is a prayer. God keeps steady my steps in Scripture. He's already reading Scripture. He's even writing Scripture. But he is praying that God would be the one whose power would steady him in Scripture. The Christian life is not to be lived in the power of the flesh, but in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of God must make the Word of God and prayer to God effective in the people of God. You cannot ignore the Spirit of God. 
and walking the Christian life. And God wants to hear such prayers from you about your sins and their attempts to domineer you. God expects to hear such prayers from you. Christian, you cannot afford to go on assuming that Jesus does not want to hear you praying about your sins and your vulnerability to them. He does want to hear you pray about that. He expects you to pray to him about those things. That's why he saves you, to make that avenue open to you because he loves to prove himself a faithful savior. He loves to prove that he answers prayers and he wants to prove to you hey i'll answer your prayers you don't have to be a superstar you don't have to be in vocational ministry you don't have to be sinless i don't expect you to be sinless i expect you to bring your sins to me that's why this verse is in the bible this is not just history to be observed it's tactics to be used So, friends, this is how a Christian thinks, feels, and prays about her own sin. There's a deep, broad, prayerful concern to eradicate sin in all its forms. There's also a deep and broad acknowledgement that that sin is still indwelling in us, and it is still making us vulnerable. So this is not the fatalism that leads to indifference. You sometimes hear well-meaning Christians or negligent Christians saying things like this, well, we all sin, nobody's perfect, we can't stop sinning, so I've kind of stopped trying, but praise Jesus, he died for my sins, so I might as well just sin again. Even if they don't say those kind of things, you can look at other people's lives and think, that's kind of how you're living, aren't you? But the psalmist does not presume on God's grace like that. And he makes no excuse for his sins based on his own temperament or personality or situation or even on how other people have sinned against him. This is moral effort put to work in using the means of grace, God's word and prayer, to kill sin in its seducing and domineering influences in your own heart. This is what it looks like and sounds like to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in you, to will and work for his good pleasure, Philippians 2. The Christian is aware of his own weaknesses. He's aware that his own indwelling sins have not quit fighting against him for supremacy in his heart. And the Christian fights. It's not the paralysis of analysis or endless morbid introspection, nor is it legalism. But Christians take seriously Jesus' own counsel to watch And pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Look out for slippery footing and things that make you stumble. Pay attention to where you're going and pray against the domineering power of every known sin. Christian, it's slippery out there. Watch your step. Let's pray again. Father, we confess that we have not always been diligent to watch and pray. So, Father, we pray afresh now. Keep steady our steps according to your word and let no sin whatsoever 
have any dominion over us. For Jesus' sake, amen.